Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're talking about some USC Trojan football. We had the NFL draft over the weekend, so that's actually something you can talk about. Real news happening in the world of sports, not something we've had in the past couple of months. So we'll talk about that, recap what went on for the Trojans in the NFL draft with Dan Weber and Keely York. We'll talk to them in just a minute. If you have any questions or comments, for our show, we're trying to at least do two of these a week with uh, Dan Weber, Keely, Yor, and myself, like we're doing today, and then also with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde. We've mixed in some recruiting ones. Sometimes we'll put our Tunnel Vision show up as a podcast, too. So we're still trying to produce a bunch of shows during this coronavirus quarantine, so hopefully you guys are all staying safe and enjoying the shows. Make sure you check out uscfootball.com. Got a great deal right now, 50% off a VIP membership plus you get access to CBS All Access, which is a great streaming service, a lot of CBS uh, original programming, and other CBS programming you can get all in one spot. So make sure you check that out. Usually if you do a promotion and you sign up for a promotion, you cannot take advantage of the CBS All Access Pass, which stays active as long as you're a member, a VIP member to uscfootball.com. Now you can. So it's a really short window, next couple of days. So make sure you jump in there and sign up. There should be something on the front page of uscfootball.com you can check it out if you have any questions or comments podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address or if you'd rather call or text us the number is 424-254-9141 don't think we got a text this week we got a couple of voicemails we got a bunch of emails and we're going to get to all of that with our guests first up is keely your coming at you from the hollywood area where, wherever you live i don't know somewhere sure. up there that's far away from the beach that's all i know how you doing yeah. keely I'm doing well. I feel like we just did this podcast. I feel like the monotony is starting to sink in. Although the draft was fun, it just seems like it was very long time ago. It just seems like I'm losing track of days is my point here. <laughs> I'm losing too. Yeah, because we did talk about the draft on Tunnel Vision on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But it, I feel like it's the end of April. April's gone by to me very quickly. I guess maybe we're used to the quarantine. But yeah, March, March was like a drag. on just Yeah. And then April was two seconds. (laughs) Yeah. So April's flown by and it's kind of hard to believe that we've been like quarantined for this long. People are definitely getting antsy. One of, I know Dan's getting antsy. We got Dan Weber (laughs) on the line. How are you, Dan? Pretty good. Uh, It's the end of April. Really? It's the end of April. Really? Are you kidding me? Oh, wow. It did go fast. It is the end of April, right? Okay. April. we're We're taping this on April 28th. Holy if crap. you can believe that, which is cray cray. Um, yeah. So well, before we jump the show, I want to thank uh, our sponsor. They've been great to us. You guys know them. You love them. Trader Joe's. I love when people come up to me and tell me their Trader Joe's stories. They just associate me and the show uh, with Trader Joe's, which is awesome for us. We love that. And uh, I went again uh, this week. Try not to go as often now because we don't want to like endanger people, but I picked up some citrusy stuff, uh, trying to make some some fun things around the house. But I I haven't tried this before, and I just picked up the the Trader Jose's, which is a imported from Mexico beer. 
Um, and it's very cool. So I had some limes and I, a friend had a lemon tree. She gave me some lemons and I was going to make some stuff. And I'm like, I want to get a, a beer I can put a lime in. And so the Trader Jose's, which I've not had before, and they're really good. So I don't know, Keely, have you tried those? You're, you're not a big beer person, I guess, but I don't know if you tried those I- before. I have not. I'm not a big beer person because I'm gluten free, unfortunately. Oh yeah, you so, can't do no, that. Yes, but I do have a scheduled Trader Joe's trip for this week, so I'm looking forward to that. Getting out of the house and going to Trader Joe's. They schedule. You have to like schedule. Put in your calendar. Like, go to Trader Joe's Wednesday at four. Well, it's like the only thing on my calendar these <laughs> days, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. <laughs> it is weird looking at your calendar now, like what we used to do and what you had, and and especially when old things come up, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Oh, the yep. spring game or whatever. Like, ah, uh, nope, that's not that's not happening. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. getting new internet put in the office and uh, get to put that on the schedule. So yeah, whatever you can schedule uh, is kind of cool. Um, all right, well, we got to jump into talking about the NFL draft. So as you know, two players were selected from USC. Austin Jackson went number 18 to the Miami Dolphins, and we talked to uh, Shotgun Spratling about it a little bit. And that was about as high as any one had projected him to go. He was the fifth tackle taken off the board. So to go 18th and you're the, the fifth at your position, that's not too bad. And then uh, really early on day two, 34th pick, I believe, Michael Pittman, uh, he goes to the Indianapolis Colts. I mentioned this on the show. I did Roger Lodge's show the, the day before, and he asked me where I thought Pittman would go, and I said the Colts, and that's where he went. So um, feel good about that. It, it's obviously it's kind of a crapshoot, but that was it. And as of now, Keely, correct me if I'm wrong, only John Houston signed a unrestricted, you know, a free agent, you know, undrafted free agent or. Uh... Yep. So, so far we haven't heard anything from Drew Richmond or Christian Rector. I've also uh, checked in with sources on the Christian Rector side, still nothing. So pretty surprising that, that it's all quiet for those two. Um, but yeah, so no updates as of today. Yeah. We thought all three of those could potentially get drafted, but for John Houston to be the only one that signs the contract is kind of crazy. He signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Makes it easy. Usually, I have to write down all the people that get drafted and where they sign, so you know you can't remember it all. I don't have to write this down. You can remember three people, so it's too hard. Uh, Dad, what were your overall takes uh, for the NFL draft? Yeah, it's a little like uh, my calendar as well, which I don't even since there would only be one item on it. I don't even bother to put it there. I figure <laughs> I can remember one thing. Uh, but yeah, it was interesting. Uh, USC had a great first 34 uh, picks okay two out of the first 34 that's not bad they didn't have so good the rest of the way uh so i i find it instructive i i wrote two columns one kind of positive uh for the uh, the take for sunday morning and <laughs> and then the next morning i wrote and now for something negative well the positive take, I think, got 7,100 views, and the negative take got 12,300 views. So now, if you can get the word negative into your headline, you're gold, uh, especially with the way kind of people would rather talk about the final five and a half rounds where USC didn't get anybody than the uh, first uh, round plus where they did. Uh, and I guess, in a way, it makes sense because – here, USC's tied all time with first round draft picks with Ohio State at 81, not a good place to be. And Ohio State gets three, jumps out now, 84 82 lead. And then you've got the whole deal with Notre Dame where USC comes into the draft with 509. And Notre Dame comes in with uh, 
kind of like the way they count ballots in California now, where at the you know all of a sudden the number changes. So uh, I think Alicia did a, a really good job of explaining that Notre Dame counted all these guys who had been drafted twice during the war and gotten drafted at their other school before they came to Notre Dame. And it, it looks like you can pretty much say USC still in the lead, but only by one, 5'11", over uh, draft picks all time to Notre Dame's 5'10". So that's kind of become an issue, I think, for USC fans, uh, and probably should be. And it looks pretty good, you know, the next couple of years uh, that USC might have had enough of, of a lead that people like Alabama and, and, and what have you, who've been, you know, so strong recent years, aren't maybe going to, you know, catch them right away. But USC's got to get back into where you're getting, you know, three or four guys that are, you know, threats to be in the first round and a couple more in the second round. And then you've got some depth to the draft, which obviously uh, this class didn't have. But the flip side of that is almost all the juniors who could stay, the J2 fellas and, uh, you know, Tyler Vons and those guys, they all stayed. So USC is really better off that those guys didn't go into the draft They'd have probably, you know, obviously Jay would have been drafted and, and probably Tyler. And now uh, they're back for next year. So the fact that USC didn't have much depth in the draft is probably a good thing for next year, but it doesn't necessarily help you when you start looking at these all time, uh, you know, draft statistics because uh, the world is catching up with the, uh, with the Trojans right now and they got to figure out a way to you know, keep it, uh, keep it going or get it back in gear. And, uh, and we'll see, I think they've got a chance with, when you look at this roster, you know, there's a chance the next, uh, you know, few classes to, uh, put, put some pretty good numbers on the board. The, uh, the, the overall, so the, the two records that were standing, uh, that are ones there, one's not, or however you want to look at it. Uh, Ohio state had, uh, three players drafted it in the first round, so they passed USC for most overall first-round draft picks. They actually, I mean, they had Joe Burrow. They really had one, two, three. Joe Burrow was on the team, too. <laughs> so that's pretty crazy, uh, something like that. Uh, I saw actually an article about Urban Meyer, like, hey, they've had so many great draft picks. Why didn't they win more championships? So I guess that's a fair criticism. Uh, you could talk about Urban Meyer, but we'll get into that in a minute. But the overall number of draft picks – and I only saw, so you're talking about Alicia Daratola from uh, Reign of Troy. Uh, they usually dig into this kind of stuff. And they looked at Notre Dame's overall draft picks. And they were counting a few players from like World War II days. Like they were drafted from one school or something. They went to war and came back to Notre Dame and then they got drafted again. Or uh, how did that work? I didn't get to uh, to dig into well, I that. think some of them, like uh, George Connor is one of the all-time great football players in Notre Dame history, college football history. He got drafted twice at Holy Cross and then went to the war, came back to Notre Dame. Uh, so they counted him for the two times he got drafted at Holy Cross. Well, no, he wasn't at Notre Dame when he got drafted like that. But in those years, you could draft somebody a couple of times. And, uh, you know, all those uh, you know, during the war, post-war, you would, I mean, who was that? I, I read about the other day, a guy played six years of college football and he was an All-American in four or five of them because you could go to another school for a specific uh, uh, officer training program, for example, 
and then let's say the war ended in 1945 and, and you were out, you were allowed to go back to your original school and, uh, and, and go back. And I think it was Barney Poole at, at Ole Miss where he was an All-American, you know, at a couple of different schools. Uh, so things were kind of uh, a little bit crazy uh, the way it all worked out in those days. But um, uh, I'm, I'm impressed with Alicia digging into that and figuring out who those guys were how many times they got multiple drafts and all that. And apparently, I think USC might have done it for one player, but Notre Dame did it for uh, a, a considerable more. Uh, so she was pretty confident, and I think, you know, I am too, with uh, the, the fact that USC deserves to have a one a one-man lead in that uh, category. But uh, it looks pretty legit that USC's got that 5'11 to 5'10 lead over Notre Dame, but it's something to be thinking about uh, as you go along that it's going to kind of measure your program, uh, you know, against the likes of Notre Dame and Ohio State, and that's where USC wants to be. And, you know, with the new new coaches, the new recruiting effort and all that, it looks like they're willing to be in that uh, ballpark again, which makes you think about last year's draft, or uh, excuse me, uh, recruiting class. And the 55, you know, ranking and all that is just so crazy. It's it's hard to even uh, now. It, it looks even crazier than it did when it happened a couple of months ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, but nice work uh, by the team over there. Uh, so if you're, you know, if you're worried, it looks like USC still has the lead at overall um, draft picks, but the Ohio State, and it doesn't look like that's going to be one that's going to be easy to catch. Ohio State's just recruiting at such a high level. Uh, I don't think that one's going to be ending anytime. I mean, USC is going to get back on top of that one, but can stay on the the overall draft picks for sure. Um, Somebody mentioned the difference with Ohio State because I guess Ohio State and Michigan each had 10 draft picks. Ohio State had like seven in the first couple of rounds. Michigan had seven in the bottom and the last couple of rounds. Completely, that's why there's that difference between Ohio State and Michigan now. Ohio State's getting those kids you know, from here, there, and everywhere. I mean, they're getting them from both coasts. They're getting them from Florida. You know, they're you just you name it. They're 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 picking a kid here and there, and it's just pretty amazing. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it is pretty amazing what they're able to do there, and uh, you know, we'll see if Ryan Day is able to keep that going and they can keep their domination of the Big Ten. But we're talking Pac-12. We're talking USC here on the Peristyle podcast keely any other uh topics you wanted to bring up before we uh roll into uh some of the questions no i mean i think i covered all my draft thoughts on tunnel vision so i won't repeat them here um but i did see before we hopped on uh governor newsom release kind of stages that you that california will open up the the state again and the penultimate stage stage three was uh, sports without live audiences so he ca- categorized it as a higher risk uh, business uh, so it's interesting we now are getting closer to seeing what the stages could look like to see some sports return now but mm. it's still very early stages yeah and you wish he would be able to say this is really 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 preliminary we have no idea what's going to happen 
next week, plus much less next month, much less the middle of July. So for me to re- release this is probably stupid, but it gets <laughs> me on. It gets me on television. Everybody talks about it, and and that's what I I really want. But I think it's just silly to be uh, speculating on when those things are going to happen and all that. I mean, and how they're going to happen. We really don't know all the things. I mean, now they're talking about uh, the researchers at Oxford might have a vaccine by the end of the summer. What's, that's like uh, nine months sooner than anybody anticipated. Uh, I, I just think it's, uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed for the political class that just feels like they got to answer every question and act like they really know what's, what's going to happen because you can't possibly know. And they ought to just say that. You can't. At least we're here and now. Uh, universities, a number of them are starting to say we're going to have people on campus in class yeah. in the fall. And and that's, I think they've got to say that, you, you know, if something happens and you got to go back on it, that's one thing. But the plan has to be um, to have you know, kids on campus. And I just saw a report that says even, you know, with what they're doing now, uh, enrollments look like they're going to be down 10% uh, for the fall. And uh, that that's a tough deal. That is definitely tough. And uh, hopefully things start opening up. There wasn't any timeline, right, on the stages, Keely. I, I looked at the governor's tweets. It didn't seem like stage no timeline, three. No. Yeah, so we don't know exactly when. But there's this does seem to be some optimism that uh, things are to start, you know, at least start getting back to, to normal. It's funny how people take such hard stances on this. Like everyone's trying to figure it out. You know, I mean, you don't want to be completely disrespectful and going around like uh, coughing on everybody and sneezing on everybody. But there's, you know, there's some people that are, you know, they're ready to go back to work and, and the people that aren't or don't want that to happen can get really upset at those people. And the people that really want to get back to work get really upset at the other people. It's like, I get, we're all just trying to figure this out right now, but it, it's good that see, we're slowly making progress. And I think that's, you know, you slowly make progress and you see if things work and you can kind of keep pushing forward. So my optimism for the football season, Keely is going up. Thank you for that. <laughs> you know, and I do think that's how we learn when some people take a chance here or take it. And, and if we say, if you take a chance and it doesn't work, you're a murderer. You know, you don't care about people. No, stop talking like that. You know, that's just not, that's not helpful at all. I mean, we're, everybody's trying to do the best they can. And I think we really need to, you know, give people, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt, you know, and, and I would say these, for example, some of the things that happen on the beaches, uh, I'd be a little careful about some of those telephoto lenses that they shoot, those beach shots can really compress how close, you know, there are where a lot of people too close together on the beaches, but those things can really compress how close everybody is and maybe they're not because you're trying to make a point. But, uh, uh, you know, I just think give everybody a chance to figure this out and see if we've got enough people that they can figure it out and, and just hope for the best. Yeah. We are hoping for the best here. I can tell you that. Uh, we would love to see college football season. We want it to be safe. So we'll uh, kind of go on from there. All right. Well, Keely, thanks for bringing pointing that out. And, uh, yeah, if you want to check out Keely's thoughts on the NFL draft, uh, you can check them out on our Tunnel Vision show up on uscfootball.com, our YouTube page, our Facebook page, and even our Periscope feed. So, 
Uh, all right. What do you want to, you know what, Keely? I have a voicemail I kind of want to start with because this, <laughs> Go is, for it, this is somebody that, you know, I sort of roasted a couple of times and I got a bunch of emails. People mm. were excited about that. Um, and here it comes back. And I actually got into some beefs on the message board too. So I'll, I might have a little rant after this and we'll get your guys' thoughts. So here we go. Oh. Yeah, a little <laughs> rant coming. Hey, Ryan and company. It's Donald from Chicago. Um, it's super uh, exciting that we're moving up the recruiting rankings and that we've got some great new assistant coaches, but I guess it only really matters what happens on the field. So I just have a simple question. How do you think we're going to do against Bama in the opener? Should I bet my house on the Trojans and Clay Helton? Would you? Just ask him. Donald from Chicago. Hey, Don, uh, thanks again for your voice, voicemail there. And if, I, if you felt I was a little harsh the last time on you, my apologies. But I got in a little conversation on the, the Peristyle 2. Here's the thing. do I, I never said that Clay Helton was a great head coach. I never said that I think USC is going to beat Alabama. Other people have, that's fine. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think USC probably gets rolled by Alabama. All those things are true, but it doesn't mean everything else that Clay Helton does is terrible. You can still have a really good recruiting class and think they're going to get rolled by Alabama. You could still really improve the coaching staff and make things a lot better and still not think that they're going to make a run at the playoffs. Now, they might. I think there's you're much more capable this season than you were last. There's a lot of talent coming back. So I feel like the people that hate on Clay Helton to the extreme are like, okay, I hate Clay Helton. So anything he touches is garbage. And you, that's just not true. There are good things. The argument I was having on the Peristyle, people were saying, I hate Clay Helton. All the players ha hate Clay Helton. And, you know, it's costing them money because they're not getting drafted. And I said, well, hold on. They're not, they don't hate Clay Helton. They like Clay Helton. And they wouldn't believe it because they hate Clay Helton. So they assume everyone else feels the same way. And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, you, they wouldn't tell you. I'm like, no, this is, we talk to their families. We talk to people off the record. I mean, it's, it's very rare. If I, I don't think I've ever had anyone tell me that they, as a player, their family doesn't like Clay Helton. And I DM'd a very active uh, player parent this morning just to confirm. And he, he was someone that didn't like certain assistant coaches. Um, but he said, no, they all love Clay Helton. And I think that the, the fans that just hate him can only say the negative and you, they can't fathom that players would really like it. Well, they're costing them money. Do you think they're going to win the national championship? I'm like, no, I don't think any of those things, but, and I think they're, you know, he, the development has probably hurt players and probably cost them money. I, I buy into all that, but you can't just because you don't like him and he does some things bad that you can make these sweeping, you know, conclusions and, that's just not the case. So we're telling you what we think. So if they have a good recruiting class, we're not ignoring it because Clay Helton's the head coach. They're getting a good recruiting class. If they hire good assistant coaches, we're not ignoring it because Clay Helton's the head coach. Like that's just what we're doing here. So sorry, Don. Yes, I I don't think they're going to beat Alabama. I think they're going to probably they could probably you know make a run after that and maybe they'll lose to Alabama, Notre Dame, and go ten and two, or maybe lose to Oregon and go nine and three. That's my guess of what happens. I, who knows uh, if the things go on. But that doesn't mean the recruiting class isn't good, and that doesn't mean the the hires aren't good. So, rant over. That's uh, I just want to let you guys know. So. Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah. I think the other thing about that is uh, recruiting has markedly improved, and Clay Helton is still the coach. Okay, 
the assistant coaching staff has markedly improved, and Clay Helton is the head coach. Now, whether you want to, you know, the the time to talk about Clay Helton was basically, you know, December, January. That was the time when it was, you know, in question. I think we all made our point of view pretty clear as to what the correct answer was for the head coaching position and for Clay. That isn't how it went. And yet, when we look at what's happened since then, uh, I don't know that we can find anything to disagree with. And if you can improve recruiting and you can improve your coaching staff, can you improve how they practice, how they prepare, all of the things that haven't been happening? I don't know. Is it hard? Probably really hard if the head coach hasn't bought in. But if the head coach basically allowed, you know, previous coaching staffs to kind of decide where the USC was going, uh, he can also let this coaching staff decide that. He certainly allowed Graham Harrell to kind of decide where the offense was going. And now you've got, you know, two new coordinators and you got a whole bunch of other guys, you know, recruiting and kind of, you know, presenting an entirely different approach to college football. Will that play out on the on the field? It's got a chance. I wouldn't say it has no chance at all because it obviously has played out in recruiting and, and staff building. And so, you know, I, and I don't know that we can keep arguing something that was decided in January. You know, didn't go your way. It was decided. Now, and people say, well, I'm doing it for the better. You know, these guys deserve better, blah, blah, blah. You can make that argument later on this year, but for now, they'll do better if they figure out a way to everybody pull together and to allow people with really good ideas on the coaching staff figure out how to practice and how to prepare for games and, and you know what to do when you get there. And arguing about what should have happened in January for the entire year is of no value. It's of no purpose. It just works against anything. If you say you really care about the USC program, arguing a January decision to keep Clay doesn't do anything to help the program. And so it's you're working against yourself if you really want the program to be better. It's pretty obvious, it seems to me. The decision is made. Now how do you make the best of it? And so far, recruiting and staff building, they're making the best of it. Yeah. What do you think, Keely? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a common misconception, I think we've addressed it a lot, that we can call out the things that are good and call out the things that are bad, and that doesn't mean that you have to take a stance one way or another. It doesn't mean that because we are acknowledging that the recruiting staff is doing better, that we're now hoisting Clay Helton up as the best head coach ever in college football history. You know, There are changes that are made, and we will call it how we see it. I just don't think that people want us to take one hard stance and not acknowledge anything other than that stance. And that's not how it works for us at least, you know? So I just don't think that people, I I think people like the choosing sides and not actually calling it how we see it. And we're going to do the latter rather than the former. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I get it. Like we, the, the thing is like, if you don't agree with them a hundred percent, they're like, Oh, you think, that everything's going swimmingly. It's like, 
No, it doesn't mean that's the case. Like there's been a lot of problems. We've called them out. I've told you Clay Helton should have been fired the last two years, but I'm not going to agree. Just because we don't agree with everything you say doesn't mean, you know, that it's just, that's just not the way it works. We're having an issue where some of the fans are just so blinded by the dislike of Clay Helton that anything you say that's not a negative, they're like, oh, you think he's the greatest coach ever? I'm like, no, did not say that. But there are some good things that happened. Should they have happened years before? Yes. But, you know, they've happened now. They have a very talented team. Be prepared. They could make some kind of run, you know. Maybe they make a run in Alabama. I don't know. And, you know, you the ones that really dislike Kelly Hilton, they're just going to believe, hey, that there's no way this team can be good. I think players win a lot. And there's some really good players on this team. And they have a really good offensive scheme. I think the defense is going to be better, at least the first year under Todd Orlando. And they got good players. Like, who knows what's going to happen? The Pac-12's got it down. Those Clay Hilton haters might be disappointed. And I think Curtis from Marino Valley would love to hear that. Uh, this team could make some kind of run. My most likely scenario is that they they beat a lot of the teams on the schedule but struggle with the Notre Dames and the Alabamas and, and maybe an Oregon on the road, even though they've lost some guys too. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you got to win the Pac-12 title. This is the year you win it. You're the best team. You have the best talent. Will they do it? Will all the changes be? I don't know. I mean, I just want to come and see it. I want to see the college football season happen. But we are going to point out when good things happen and when bad things happen. We put out all the bad things with Clay Helton over the years. But when they're doing good things, we're going to point those out too. Yeah, and, and, and just so you guys know, if you write, for example, a positive column, which you try to group the positive stuff, and then a negative column, what you'll get after the positive column is how much did Clay pay you to write that? Blah, blah, you know, and all that. And I'm thinking, you know, did Clay pay me to write when I said he shouldn't come back? I mean, I mean, it's, it's pretty, and, and, and when the new administration got in here, one of the first things they said was, you're the guy that's toughest on, on, on us, aren't you? And I said, well, I guess at times I could be, you know, pretty tough. But it's, it shouldn't be about me. It shouldn't be about a personal, you know, thing. It just should be about what's going on. And, you know, I mean, when you write something good, they say, oh, you know, you're in the pocket of, you know, you're one of those guys. You know, no, we're not. We're really not. We're, we're just what's best for this USC football program. And are they moving in the right direction or not? And, and we'll tell you uh, absolutely both ways. And without even a thought of, how is this going to look in terms of, you know, what USC is going to think about us? I mean, and when Keely and I are talking after practice about, you know, uh, the incident analysis, that's the, that, that uh, thought doesn't even enter remotely. It's what did they do? They get better. Is this improvement? Uh, how did, how, you know, that's all we're thinking about. We're not thinking about any other thing at all, really. And not even at all. Although if somebody said, you know, you got to hate Clay because and it's not possible to hate Clay if you, uh, you know, deal with Clay kind of on a daily basis. You just can't. I mean, that's who Clay is. That's how Clay is. Uh, there were coaches here that you could do that probably uh, personally. You you maybe didn't like him. It's, it's probably not possible to not like Clay. You might not like the way some of the things are working out or some of the patterns that, you know, he, he gets into and all of that. But on a personal basis, it's really hard. When you, when you say that, Keely? 
Yeah, I mean, I remember one of the times, one of the instant analysis, we've been, we were really hard on the team, hard on Clay Helton. A couple of days later, I'm passing by Heritage Hall, and I just hear this guy say, oh, have a good night, or whatever, and it's Clay Helton. You know, I, here I am, I'm a young girl calling for this guy's job, and he's telling me, have a good night. You know, guy, some coaches are not as nice as Clay Helton, so yeah, but I know a lot of people are probably rolling their eyes at that, because we always say it, but it's true, and so... But yeah, Dan and I barely even discuss what we're going to talk about in analysis. We have that much of a rapport these days. So it's not like we, we calculate what we're saying every time we, we talk about the team or whatnot. Well, let's, uh, I guess, move on. So that was, uh, we had to play Don's call. Um, he kept it short this time, so I appreciate that, Don. Uh, we definitely didn't. Huh? I said we, we didn't, didn't keep it short, keep it short. no. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I got a little, I got to share something with it. It just happened on Twitter. This is like fanboy inside me. So the Spirit of Troy, the uh, Trojan Marching Band, they tweeted out uh, yesterday on Monday, 50 years, uh, 50 moments. And back in uh, November 28th of 2015, uh, named one of the best shows of the season by NCAA.com, the Trojan Marching Band Star Wars Halftime. Had it all, the iconic John Williams score, scenes from the saga on the field, and an introduction by Luke Skywalker himself, uh, Mark Hamill, and it's at Hamill himself. And uh, I just replied to their tweet, and I said, I watched Corvette Summer for the first time the other night. Crazy. It was like a 1978 movie. I don't know if you guys saw, but Mark Hamill was the star. So it was like the year after the original Star Wars came out, and... Uh, and someone asked me if I'd seen it before. I said, no, I hadn't seen it. I just wanted to see Mark using the force. Like you're just looking at, you're looking at him like, I want him to use a force. And Mark Hamill liked my tweet. So that was very cool. So I got, <laughs> so Luke Skywalker liked my tweet. So I just saw that and I was very happy. Very nice. <laughs> I, I, I know, I, I will say this, covering practice and that, you really get to be a part of that band because like by the time they get to the Star Wars Saturday show, we know the whole show, right, Kelly? I mean, you get all the, you got all the tunes, you got all the, because uh, they, you know, work at least as hard as the football team, you know, right next door. And so you kind of, if you're covering the football team, you also become kind of part of the band uh, show, uh, you know, as we're waiting there and they're coming, they're going on and off Cromwell Field and all that. It's it's kind of neat to be uh, to be a part of that. And Mark Hamill is a USC guy, right? He's an alum. Is he? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I think he is. An, oh, yeah. I think he's an alum. Yep. I believe so. Oh, dude. We're going to have to get him on tunnel vision. I don't know. Like, oh, I'll, I didn't think about that. I'll have yeah. to find out. I'm, I'm pretty sure he is. Nice. I'll ask him. I'll tweet at him. <laughs> I don't know if he'll respond, but uh, we'll I see. believe so. Nice. Um, he has like 3.7 million followers. You don't think he is? He didn't I mean, go to USC, if that's what you were I identified him somehow with USC. It was like, I know Mark Harmon played for UCLA, and I always, you knew he was a UCLA guy. For some reason, I have seen references to Mark, Mark maybe it's mostly because of the, uh, you know, with the band or whatever, but I just mm -hmm. got the sense that, that he, was, uh, he was a USC guy. He uh, was enrolled at Los Angeles City College, fun fact. Oh. Uh, okay. There you go. <laughs> He wanted to go to USC. Shall we move on, Ryan? Yeah, let's move on. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I just I just saw that. I'm like, wait, Mark Hamill liked my tweet? Yes, that's cool. 
There you go. Uh, so we have a email an email from Gary Class of uh, 1975. He says, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, last week you talked about the importance of football income to pay for women's and non-revenue sports. If you, you said if there's no football, they might need to close the athletic department. My question is, what percentage of football income comes from ticket sales? I would guess the vast majority comes from TV, sponsorships, conference revenue, bowl splits, etc. I'm wondering if they have to play the start of the season or more without fans and lose that part of the revenue. Could they afford it? Sadly, I think this situation could go on much longer and social distancing will be in place the rest of the year. As much as I hate that, I prefer to watch sports on TV than have no sports. Could USC have football without fans in 2020 and survive financially? Thanks and stay safe. Gary, class of 1975. Uh, not the way it is now. They couldn't. Uh, I, I, I would think probably the breakdown in college is not like the NFL where mostly the TV money is so big that it's mostly TV money no matter how many fans are there or what they charge for tickets. But uh, I think the college is – I was trying to think the last year – that we have information for USC was about, I think it's something like $70 million income in football. And I think their, uh, you know, their take from TV is about half of that. So, uh, six, you know, 65 to 70 million income and, and you know, like 34, 35 uh, from all the TV deals and what have you. So it would be severely uh, cut back, I would think in a lot of ways now. You know, there are there may be ways that, for example, the athletic department pays full tuition for all the all the student athletes. That's a lot of money at a place like USC. It probably really doesn't cost them that much more to have a couple of kids in this class and a couple of kids in that class. And it could be made into a paper transaction, for example, where you maybe wouldn't have to underwrite you know, you could give the scholarships, but you didn't ever, you wouldn't necessarily have to make that, you know, a financial transaction between the athletic department and the school. But, uh, but otherwise, I think you would see, uh, you know, you wouldn't see the uh, women's lacrosse team, for example, making two different trips to the East Coast. Probably not happening. You know, the baseball team probably wouldn't be flying, uh, uh, you know, a lot of places and all that. There would be, you know, a lot of uh, serious adjustments if everybody was able to keep all the sports. But, uh, but yeah, it, it will be very tough. And, and you know, they would, uh, I think the University of Louisville last week furloughed, what was it, 45 people? No, laid off 45 people in their athletic department and furloughed another 40. Uh, so I think you'd see uh, a good bit of that as well. You wouldn't probably have you know, 40 uh, assistant athletic directors and things like that. Uh, you just, you know, you'd see a lot of changes. Uh, that would not be good. We have an email from John Oakland who says, Hi, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley. There's been a lot of talk and speculation around the COVID impacts on the fall college football season. However, I really haven't heard much on its impact on high school football. Since high school football is truly a local event, the LA Unified School District, with over 50 high schools, along with other Southern California school districts, could easily decide to move the football games to the spring, even college didn't move theirs. Uh, even if college didn't move theirs. Maybe even just cancel football altogether, together, given that high school games, unlike FBS college games, are not big money-generating events. What do you think such moves uh, by high schools might have on college recruiting? By Don, John. Well, I think that would be a tough deal. Uh, I think one of the big problems is going to be uh, for everybody coming back 
businesses and schools and what have you. I think Congress is going to have to pass some sort of law indemnifying everybody coming out of this because if you could, you know, throw a lawsuit here, there, anywhere, if, you know, the person selling hot dogs at the game comes down with, you know, coronavirus or the, you know, freshman manager or somebody that was in the stands and all of that. I think it would take some real political, uh, you know, political courage to bring back, uh, you know, a lot of things, uh, you know, in line with coming back into school. I think the high schools are kind of waiting to see what everybody else does. Um, but they've got some issues if you move, you know, football into the spring, not just the recruiting, you know, and all of that for the kids that are going on. I just think you run out of facilities because you've got, you know, all the other sports that that take place in the spring. So uh, I think they've got to figure out a way to, if you come back, say the NFL comes back and college comes back, the high schools are probably going to have to figure out a way to, to go along with it. Will they bring fans in and you know, take, I don't know if there'll still be a chance that you'd be taking at that point in time, but it's been really quiet, I think, with the high schools right now, because I just think they know they can't get out in front on any of this. They just got to sit there and wait. But I, I think, I hope they try to do what's best for the, the students, the student athletes, and, and, uh, and, and you know, come up with the best decision uh, and, and maybe wait until they really know, uh, you know, what can you do? What measures can you take? Do you still need to do social distancing or not? I think it's that's a good question because I just don't think anybody's gone there very much. You just haven't, you know, read much or, or thought about much of what what's going to happen at the high school level. But I think it's going to be really interesting uh, to see how they solve that. Yeah, without a doubt. We have an email from Mike from Coachella. If you remember last week's pod, he accidentally said Tony Orlando instead of Todd Orlando. Yes. And Ryan and Dan had some fun with that. He says, sorry for the confusion, but thanks for reliving memories of Tony Orlando and Don. I think Dan has a personal story for everybody in the world. I also <laughs> would agree with that. Uh, to clarify my question, how does Todd rate his current roster with those he has coached in the past? I know he hasn't had a chance to really work with them yet, so this question is really a result of the doldrums of COVID isolation and not really having real football news. Thanks for providing some semblance of normalcy during these times. Mike from Coachella. So the question is, I think I got lost lost in the Tony Orlando and Don part, but uh, yeah. the question was exactly what? He wants to know, has Todd commented on the talent that he's going to work with with USC's defense, and has he related that to past uh, rosters that he's coached? I specifically asked him that question. He refuses to go there. He says, I don't know how they're going to play till I see him in pads, till I see him hit somebody. I'm not going to evaluate uh, the talent that we've got. I think, you know, I think we can play the way I want him to play. He's got to match up. This is how I see the game. You know, with 11, 10 of your 11 guys, you think can, uh, you know, blitz. But um, so I think he does admit that there's enough, there are enough athletes on this team. And he, he would go as far as saying, I think we have the people up front who can allow us to do 
what uh, I want the defense to do on the second and third level. But try to push him on that talent, and he says, it's a game about hitting people, and until we go out there and are able to hit people, I'm not going to have a, a real strong opinion about that. So uh, he very, very much will not go there uh, in the, for the most part. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think you can expect something like that to be said when, when you've had one spring practice. Um, I mean, if this was like, hey, could you compare your defenses at Texas, the players you had at Texas, to ones the ones you've had at Houston? And there were some some really studs that, that you had at Houston. Um, that might be a little easier to do, but you're just getting here. I don't think you want to disrespect Texas and say, oh, this team, you know, this defense is more talented or anything like that. Uh, but I, I think this is one of those questions, Mike, that you would get a better answer for a few years down the road, maybe when he's on his next job and you kind of see how those defenses performed and he might feel like, Hey, last year, that Texas defense, even though it wasn't ranked very high, had a lot of young players, a lot of guys were hurt, but overall talent wise, 10 of them got drafted or whatever it is, you know, something like that. So you might have some better uh, understanding for it uh, later on than I think what you would right now. Yeah, and I don't know that he's even certain how good that Texas defense was because of all the injuries. They apparently all got together by the end of the year in the Alamo Bowl, and they just beat the heck out of out of Utah. I mean, they didn't pretty much didn't let Utah into that game. Now Utah was kind of let down because they they didn't win the Pac-12 and weren't going to the Rose Bowl or whatever the playoff. Uh, but uh, Texas really handled them at the end of the year with a defense that statistically uh, wasn't that highly rated, but uh, but played awfully well uh, in the final game when they got everybody healthy. We have an email from our buddy Dan, class of 1962, who says, Hi, Dan, Ryan, and Keeley. One team that kind of gets lost in the list of sort of great USC teams is the 1988 team. Larry Smith was a brush of fresh air, a breath of fresh air when he came to USC in 1987 from the University of Arizona after the lackluster years of Ted Tolner, even though Toler, Toler did win the 1985 Rose Bowl. Larry Smith made it to the Rose Bowl three straight years, 1987 through 1989. The 1988 team was undefeated and ranked second, with only Notre Dame ranked first. Both, team, both teams played each other as their last game, a true number one versus number two game. But alas, the 1988 team could not stop the Notre Dame running or the running quarterback a problem that has plagued recent teams. They then lost to Michigan in the Rose Bowl. If they could have won those last two games in 1988, Larry Smith would have been a fifth national championship coach at USC. That team was led by Rodney Pete, who was runner-up for the Heisman in 1988. Of course, Larry Smith cratered after 1989 when he built the team around Todd Marinovich. Dan, what are your thoughts about Larry Smith as a head coach at USC? Fight on and win, Dan, class of 1962. Well, I know this. We... Uh, brought the uh, Traveling College Football Hall of Fame out to the uh, to USC for the Ohio State game in 89. And I know it didn't work out because of all the things we had going, but uh, he offered to come by and, and, and talk to us and, and be, uh, you know, we were on, uh, on display right under the statue uh, at the Peristyle. Uh, and he offered to come and, you know, say hi to fans and that on Friday and, uh, it, somehow the schedule just didn't work out that we could do that. But I was, I was always really uh, impressed with him personally. Uh, and I, I had somehow the year before gotten the uh, Cincinnati Enquirer I was working for to let me cover the Notre Dame uh, uh, USC game. 
for the you know in effect the national championship game, and uh, and that was that was pretty cool uh, to be able to get out there, see that game. Uh, it was just a you know a great experience. We had a kid from that I had known since he was in grade school who started it for Notre Dame at tight end. So that was one of the, the reasons to come out here. But, uh, yeah, uh, it was, I think it ended up 27-10. It, it was probably much closer than that. But uh, why can't I think of the Notre Dame quarterback, option quarterback from South Carolina who just took off on that one play and uh, the, the big, long touchdown run that kind of turned the game around. But uh, that was fun. There were so many media here for that game. They put an entire media row on top of the of the press box, and um, uh, because everybody in the world wanted to be at that game, and so and I was one of the ones that ended up on top of the press box, and it was one of the coolest coolest things. And this is how different the world was. I was the third guy from the end on the left side, and I was sitting next to Hank Stram and Jack Buck, and they were the uh, mutual radio broadcast team they were in town to do i guess the raiders game the next day and it hit somebody at the network they said oh my gosh you got the top game in college football for the whole year we need to do a national radio broadcast so they were in going to be in town on saturday they said can we get you know can we get credentials to cover the game they literally covered the game from outside on the top of the press box and right next to me. And for those who remember Hank Stram, the Kansas City Chief uh, Chiefs coach, he uh, always had a hat on which covered his toupee. And <laughs> I'm sitting next to Hank Stram for the whole game. And Jack, he was supposed to be the analyst. He had no idea who any of the players were. I mean, not that you would expect him to. He was an NFL coach. <laughs> and Every comment, Jack Buck would say something like, what do you think about that, Hank? And Hank would say, and he'd be holding his hat on to make sure it didn't get blown off with his toupee underneath. And he'd have some comment that would tie into the wind. He would say, man, it's a windy day. I could see how he'd make that play. Every single comment was uh, talked about the wind. And it was one of the most hilarious uh, uh, full game commentaries you could have ever heard, but uh, but that's my story <laughs> about uh, about those two teams and Larry Smith. Larry, Larry, um, I don't know what happened to him the next year. They just kind of you know fizzled. But uh, but we were out there for the the Ohio State game where uh, uh, Kirk Herbstreit was the backup quarterback for Ohio State that day, and that was. One of the great days in college football in one single town because uh, USC played Ohio State early in the afternoon at the Coliseum. And then in the evening, uh, Michigan played UCLA. Uh, and I was just thinking, Ohio State, Michigan, UCLA, USC in the same town on the same day. Uh, how, how good is that? I mean, Los Angeles is kind of underrated at times for for what a great college football town it was. But that was a, a kind of a neat weekend to be uh, be involved. And, and Larry Smith was was really sweet to us. He was very, very nice guy. That was uh, 1989 was my freshman season uh, when they went out and lost to Jeff George in the opener. Uh, that was, you know, Todd Morenovich coming out there. I don't, I, as, as Dan put it, I don't think 
the reason that the team suffered is because he built his team around Todd Morenovich. I mean, I don't think he built his team around Todd Morenovich. I mean, he was Morenovich was starting, but they just fought. I mean, they did they did not get along. Um, they really did not like each other. And, you know, Todd was going through a lot of issues himself, you know, being the robo QB and all that, never having a a burger. Well, all that was crap. I mean, he did drugs. He did all kinds of stuff. So he gets to college and he goes nuts. But I wouldn't say it's a Todd Morenovich problem. I think that you look coming in, you know, coming into things. Tolner did recruit well. Uh, my estimation, this was before my time. but and, and Larry Scott was not the most dynamic recruiter. He still got guys in there, but he, he just didn't seem to relate to the players as well. And after some of that talent ran out, you just, you were seeing... It just it wasn't the same, and I, I feel like it was more of he wasn't going to be someone that was getting the best recruits. Uh, now I w- I wasn't like completely dialed in when I was in, uh, in college, and but we definitely saw it go down to the point where uh, you know he was Larry was eventually fired. But my take was it was more about he won with Tolner's players, and once it was mostly his players, they just weren't winning anymore. Uh, you talk about fight. Uh... That was the year, 89 with Marinovich, was the year that USC, uh, one of our games with the Trailing College Football Hall of Fame was the USC at Notre Dame game. And that was the game where, uh, and we got to be on the field and we would do a presentation at halftime. And and, and they're getting ready, the, uh, the teams to run off the field before the game. And Notre Dame, you know, was coming off a national championship team and they were really a bunch of tough guys. And what they would do is, they wouldn't leave the field till the opponent left, and they would uh, cover every yard of their end of the field. So if you were trying to leave the field, they didn't leave you any room uh, to get off the field unless you tiptoed around them, and uh, they would leave you a little room in front of the New- Notre Dame student section. So they would basically try to uh, get the visitor to not be able to run off the field, have to tiptoe in front of the Notre Dame students who would raise the heck out of them. USC decided we're not doing that. And they ran right through the Notre Dame, uh, you know, we're basically in the, in the end zone and Notre Dame followed them into the tunnel. And that Notre Dame team under Lou Hulse had already gotten in trouble for one fight. I'm trying to remember, was it Miami? But they'd gotten into a fight already. And they followed USC in there, and you had two teams crammed into that tunnel at Notre Dame. Uh, there wasn't any room for anybody to even move. Guys were taking their helmets off and hitting one another on top of the head. Um, and it happened just past the where you could see. If you were in the stadium, you couldn't quite see them. It didn't happen until they got far enough into the tunnel. And I still remember Lou Holtz was running on top of guys' shoulders and trying to separate them. And he weighs about 140 pounds. He had no no luck at all. But it was one of the craziest couple of minutes that I've ever seen with guys hitting one another on the hill. Literally, both full teams were involved in this fight. And we're just standing there right there watching it uh, on the field at the end of the tunnel. And it was like, this is crazy. This This is you know, it was it was one of my highlights uh, of college football watching in my whole life. But uh, uh, <laughs> and I don't think it was up to Larry Smith. I, I think the players, the USC players made it up in their own mind. They weren't going to let Notre Dame uh, intimidate them. And 
And with Marinovich, they ended up jumping out to like a 14 to nothing lead uh, in the first half. And then things completely turned around in the second half and Notre Dame got them. But uh, that was one of the one of the highlights, uh, honestly, of, of my college football watching career. Wish you guys could all been there. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on. We got a voicemail. I'll play it for you guys about offensive line talk. If you want to talk a little big guys up front, here we go. Hey, Peristyle. Uh, it's Anthony in L.A. I just wanted to take a quick second to make a statement on, you know, the lack of spring football camp. Uh, I think in terms of the offensive line, it would have been really interesting to see uh, Liam Jimmins make a push for that open guard spot. I know Voorhees is back. And there's talk of maybe Dietrich kicking out to one of those spots, but I think with Nilon in center, even Dietrich or uh, Voorhees at the right guard spot, and then you have Jimmins at the left guard with the bookends of tackle being Vera Tucker and McKenzie, I think that would be a solid start. Um, but yeah, I would love to see Liam Jimmins push for that uh, starting open guard spot. I think he's aggressive, and um, that's what we need. All right, guys. Thanks, as always, and fight on. Yeah, I think he will. Uh, and I I hope we finally figure out how big he is now. He's gotten awfully big, and it it doesn't seem to have been reflected in the roster. And we're going to have to ask him exactly how big he is. But uh, uh, I certainly think they've got the building blocks to be a, a good offensive line. I mean, I think they've got kids that are pretty athletic, uh, smart kids, uh, aggressive kids. Uh, guys that have kind of the ability to play a couple of different spots. And I know we don't, I, I, Andrew Voice had to play when he was probably not quite ready. And, and, and there are people who you don't say that many good things about him coming back and being ready this year. <clears throat> and while we don't know that one of the things we know is his bench press is he tied for the what would have been if he did it at the combine the third highest uh, number of reps of the of 225 pounds in history. Uh, so, I mean, how many times will a USC team be able to run on the field with Alabama and say, "Hey, we got the strongest offensive lineman on the field"? Uh, so, I think they got a chance, and I do agree. I think the offensive line is the key position for this USC team this year. I think it will determine so much of if they can run the ball and they can, you know, pass protect, uh, they've got a chance to be really good on offense. And and I, I think this offensive line has a chance, but uh, we need to, we've thought that before and it hasn't happened. And we think the way they're going to practice and they're going to be forced to practice by this defense and these new coaches will make all the difference for this offensive line, but we got to see it. They got to show us and uh, we'll see, but I think you're right. Yeah. The offensive line was something I was really looking forward to and see how that shook out in spring camp, just because it was one of the biggest storylines coming into spring camp. Um, The interesting thing though, that you alluded to Dan is I was just curious about Andrew Voorhees and this time period, because he, we actually got to talk to him a little bit uh, before instant analysis. The only instant analysis, instant analysis we did in the spring and it just didn't seem like he was ready to go or close to get going so how much Liam Jimmins would be in that guard rotation uh would be interesting but also good to see Liam Jimmins uh as far as USC goes for guys switching back and forth from defense to offense it hasn't been very good Dominic Davis and Jacob Daniel kind of stay in my mind there but uh to see him actually get some traction there on the offensive line is is good to see for him 
Yeah, I think he's got some real potential. I think he's got NFL potential. He's a, a raw, uh, you know, not really uh, well you know, developed in terms of all the things you have to be able to do. But he's got some physical skills. He's got some enthusiasm. And he's got a big body that just looks like he's going to get you know, bigger and, and, and more able to, to do what you need him to do. And he got some experience. So, uh, But you're right, Keeley. USC has had almost no luck with the offense to defense or vice versa switches. It just uh, it hasn't worked. It would be great to see uh, if, it, if it works for Liam. We have an email from Jack from New Jersey who says, Ryan, I really enjoy listening to you, Dan, and Keeley on Tuesday's podcast. I hate to be a doomsayer, but there's a lot that is going on uh, to change and have to be done to have a 2020 uh, NCAA football season. Dan was correct when he said if there's no football season, there will be bigger issues in, the, in this world than that. Presently, several of sports medicine's governing bodies are working to put together guidelines for a safe return uh, to competition this fall. Some things may include checking athletes' temperatures daily, checking their oxygen saturation with pulse exometer, a little monitor you place on your finger, he explains, uh, COVID testing for acute illness for, and for immunity, checking athletes' sense of taste and smell, uh, two things that seem to affect younger patients more than older patients, he adds, uh, sanitizing locker rooms and equipment, which is different than cleaning locker rooms and equipment. Our lives as we know them are going to change for the next two to three years. We should all be prepared. As I learned from Pete Carroll, no arguing, no whining, no excuses. Jack from New Jersey. Yeah, Jack's right. I mean, all of those things are going to happen. I don't think there's any question uh, about it. Uh, but I think they've got a chance to make that work. I, I really do uh, you know, believe that. I think the NCAA has just come out this week uh, with guidelines. And I know they don't have a final decision from their medical uh, uh, advisory board, but they're saying basically they need six weeks. They want uh, they want to be given six weeks to get uh, get teams ready. I thought I saw one of the SEC coaches said we'd like eight weeks, please. But uh, six weeks, I think, is going to be where where it ends up. And for the teams that uh, I think uh, John Wilder mentioned this for the teams that end up. Uh, opening like USC is supposed to do, that would mean you get the, the last week in July and you go through August. And that's basically a, a couple of years ago, that was the normal starting date. Uh, and then they, they cut it back a week. But uh, I don't think it will you know change things that much if they have the ability to uh, give you some sort of therapeutic, uh, some sort of medicine, not a vaccine, but something that will keep uh, early uh, coronavirus from becoming really serious. That's, that's the thing that has to happen. If you develop something like that, which with all the tests, the 71 plus tests that are going on, one would think they might come up with something that would be able to do that. And if you have uh, the kind of testing that they're talking about now, um, so if they're, you know, I guess the hardest part is what about the asymptomatic, you know, people? Can you pick them up enough with with all the other kinds of things that that we're talking about? Uh, I don't know, but uh, I think I think they've got a chance to put it more in the category of the flu than where it is now. Obviously, now it's not there. It's in a very different place, uh, but. Uh, if they can get it to that place, you've got a chance for playing the games. Now, as far as what do you do as far as people in the stands, 
I think almost becomes a bigger question than getting the teams to the stadiums. Uh, who else gets to come to the stadiums? That'll be, uh, I think, the, the next question to be decided. We have one final uh, question, and it's we're going back to the big issues email that we got a couple weeks ago. We have a couple more issues for you to tackle, Dan. This one is about the Pac-12 network uh, from Jim. He says, the Pac-12 network has been a disaster. When will Pac-12 presidents jettison Larry Scott, close the Pac-12 network, and allow USC to recover its broadcast rights? Yeah, uh, exactly. I think if if you were a um, TV consultant uh, advising USC right now, you would say, uh, <clears throat> that's what you have to ask for. Uh, whether you ask for Larry Scott's head or not, you certainly would say we need to bring back the uh, Pac-12 network and, and what they do in broadcasting the Olympic sports and, and the other things. Bring them back to campus. Give us our uh, third tier rights and give us a lot more freedom. And uh, I mean, it's, it's just not working and it's more of a limitation than it is an expansion. And um, it just didn't work. I'm sorry. And let schools work out their own their own deals. And it would be hard to get that through because they're not going to look at it the same way at Oregon State and Washington State as they are going to look at it uh, at USC and UCLA and Washington and Arizona State. But, uh, but I think that's something that has to happen. That uh, the Big 12, for example, without any of the Pac-12 network stuff and all of that is now uh, providing significantly more income to their schools, which are located in all these little college towns for the most part. Uh, and the Pac-12, it's been a waste. It's done them more harm than good. And um, they ought to just, but if you're running the Pac-12 and your salary, your extravagant salary is justified by, say, Larry Scott by saying, look, I'm the president of the, or I'm the commissioner of the Pac-12, and in effect, I also am a network executive, and I really need to be paid uh, double. Uh, it would be hard to get, probably get Larry to bring, uh, take back that argument, I would think. But uh, I think the presidents of the Pac-12 need to take the network back from Larry and say, look, it's not doing us any good and it's costing us and it's over. But uh, I don't know. I don't see any expertise in the president's offices or the athletic directors right now as a group to, to be able to do that. But I think they really, they really need to. They really do. And most of the presidents that hired Larry Scott are gone. So that's a good thing. Um, you know, starting to lose a couple of the final holdouts. So, Hopefully the Pac-12 can kind of get their stuff together and it would benefit a program like USC if they got their tier three rights back. They would do much better than what Larry Scott and the Pac-12 have provided for them. Um, we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, I don't think we have any more questions, Keely, but at the top of the show, Dan, you talked about that controversy of who has the most draft picks. Uh, USC football tweeted out a little bit earlier and then Shotgun retweeted it. Uh, 511. Most in the NCAA for USC, uh, 511 draft picks. And they said the tradition continues. USC to the NFL, fight on. And uh, so US, Shotgun tweeted that USC is not buying Notre Dame's claim of also having 511. So they are not acknowledging Notre Dame tying them uh, with the most draft picks. So we're a little like uh, social media Riley. beef going on, maybe. Good for USC. 
they're right and stick with it and don't give this up. Yeah, you do that. All right. I think it's going to wrap it up. Keely, anything else? We good? That is it. We good. All right. Well, I hope you guys all enjoyed that show again this week. Normally I have uh, Harvey Hyde on Mondays. Uh, he had some stuff going on, so we're going to have him on a Wednesday. And uh, stay tuned to we'll probably have a special guest on Tuttle Vision on Thursday. We were going to have Brandon Sosna. Uh, that was delayed for another week. So we're going to get someone else uh, involved in the USC Athletic Department football team specifically. So I think you guys will like that. We also have a special Tunnel Vision going up. We'll probably be up around the same time as this podcast goes up. But you want to check that out. Some interesting guests that we've had. Um, so I'll we'll put that up sometime today if you check out uscfootball.com you can check that interview out that is keely your i'm ryan abraham that's dan weber i don't know why i'd put myself in the middle of those two but i usually do <laughs> myself last so uh my apologies but hope you guys enjoyed uh this edition of the peristyle podcast and we will talk to you next time you may have noticed that shopping at trader joe's is unlike shopping at other markets people ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.